Welcome to Lives, a show about conversation, community, and the people that make community come alive. The theme of this week's show is the black middle class. With me in the studio today is Othello Meadows, the CEO of 75 North, founded in 2011 to facilitate creating healthy, sustainable, mixed-income communities in the Highlander neighborhood in North Omaha. Hello, Othello. Hey, how are you doing, Stuart? Really well, thanks. Thanks for joining me today. I'd like just to get the ball rolling by uh, learning a little bit more about you. So could you tell me a little bit about the community that you grew up in? Um, so I grew up uh, on Miami Street, uh, near the intersection of Miami and Fonda Boulevard. And it was a uh, uh, great neighborhood to grow up in, pretty diverse uh, in just about every respect. Um, racially, uh, economically, um, age-wise. Uh, it was just a great place to grow up. Um, you know, that was uh, basically uh, my introduction to, to everything. It was walking out my front door and um, just interacting with the various characters that, that roamed my neighborhood. So it was, it was a great place to grow up. What kind of characters? Oh, just, you know, it was, um, you know, the type of place where you had the, the uh, grouchy old white guy that lived there before black people lived there and <laughs> and uh, was angry about that, um, uh, you know, to uh, the candy lady that gave out candy, you know, out of her house, which today sounds like a terrible idea. But, um, you know, that was uh, just part of our neighborhood to, you know, all my friends that just lived up and down the street that I go and knock on their door and get them to come outside and play basketball or football or ride bikes or whatever. So it was just a very layered and, and, and rich uh, in, in character and, and interest type place to grow up. You know, as uh, uh, our conversation goes on, we'll talk a little bit more about your transition through life and, and how you ended up being the CEO of 75 North and the work you do with them. But before we get to uh, that point, what did you think when you were a child you were going to grow up to become? You know, I don't, I don't know. Um, well, you know, basketball played a huge part in my life. I, mean, I played basketball in college. I played basketball from really the moment I can kind of remember. Um, so I, I think somewhere in the back of my mind, or not even, maybe not even in the back of my mind, I, I thought that, you know, basketball would be in my future, whether professionally or, or somewhere. Um, and so that kind of dominated my thoughts as 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 a kid, and then um, I didn't really think about um, what was next until I was kind of forced to think about what was next. You know, you I played in college and had a good career, and uh, you know there there weren't uh, thirty NBA teams banging on my door, you know, begging me to come play, and so I had to start thinking uh, kind of about what I wanted to do, but. I don't know. I, I I knew that I wanted to do something um, that I don't know was maybe at a higher level than what I saw around me all the time. So uh, professionally, I knew I wanted to do something that felt important, that earned uh, earned me a good living and allowed me to take care of my family. But I really didn't have any idea what that was. Mm -hmm. It does make me think about what middle class is. And so I'm in my mid-40s. I'm a white man, originally from Britain, now an American citizen. And Congratulations, by the way. Thank you. I, too, am responsible for what we call this democracy. <laughs> yeah, right. uh, <laughs> and your journey, I think we share many similarities in some ways, but there are very clear differences, too. Sure. Um, and one of the things that you were just describing in some ways, as an outsider, to me appears to be a cliche. And it's this idea of moving from a neighborhood as a child uh, into a sporting career of some sure. sort. But would you talk a little bit more about that? Because from from here, it seems to be something of a cliche that's perpetuated by sort of Hollywood tropes. Right. Um, but maybe clearly that wasn't the case for you. This was a viable possibility. Yeah. You know, it, it's one of these sort of difficult questions, right? Because you know, if you have, or if you know kids or or, or young people that uh, have a dream to do whatever, right? Whether that's professional athletics or music, or they want to be a great writer, or they want to be whatever, 
you certainly want to support those endeavors. Um, and you, you certainly don't want the fear of being a cliche to influence your decision on, on, on how far you support somebody in that dream. Uh, you know, for me, I, I was I was fortunate. You know, I, I had some ability and it allowed me to go to college for free um, and allowed me to see the world a little bit and, and do things I wouldn't have been able to do, you know, had I not played basketball in college. But, you know, you are kind of painfully aware of sort of the other side of that coin, right? Um, you know, for me, uh, basketball was always secondary to school. Like in my household, it was... It was really um, about educating yourself, both in and outside of school, that really took precedence. You know, and I always hesitate to, to really talk about that part of my background just because, you know, I think it, it does lend itself to this belief that that is a way out of whatever, and this is a way out of North Omaha or a way out of South Side of Chicago or wherever else. And I always tell people, I said I was leaving here anyway whether it was basketball or or some other means. Um, so it, it's kind of a delicate balance between between reinforcing uh, that cliche or that stereotype and supporting somebody who actually may be good at it uh, and, and the benefits that come with it. I, I always try and be somebody who um, maybe errs on the bleak side of things, right? <laughs> which is like do really well in school. <laughs> You are listening to Lives. We'll be back after the break. You are listening to Mind and Soul 101.3 FM. Welcome back to the show Lives. This is Stuart Chittenden. Today I am speaking with Othello Meadows, the CEO of 75 North. You made an interesting comment about basketball always being secondary to school. Right. And it makes me want to connect that idea of education to how we think about the middle class. Sure. And the middle class generally seems to be such a nebulous, ambiguous term, and I I don't know exactly how we define it. Is it income to, and and how much income? Is it education or parental heritage? Are we thinking about where your house is? Is it a suburban place? Is it city apartments? What, what does that look like? And, and is it an occupation? So if, it, if it's not, for example, basketball, and I'm not saying that it couldn't be if it's not a th- professional sports, but what then is it? Does it look like an accountant? Does it look like a, you know, a scientist or an academic? Or is it perhaps a cultural creator, someone who's like um, you know, a writer or right. an author or someone like that? So I don't know. What, what is the middle class? That's a great question. I mean, I guess the best way I can sort of answer that in in my experience is just when I left Omaha, um, especially as it relates to black people, when I left Omaha in 1994, um, I thought that black people everywhere lived the way that black people in Omaha lived, meaning that there was this minute uh, black middle class and that there were a handful of black people that were living at a certain level, whatever that level is, right? To me, it meant sort of uh, maybe your family had two cars, you lived in a house, uh, you lived in a neighborhood that was further west than, than you know, where I grew up or where anybody else I knew grew up. So those were kind of my indicators of sort of middle-classness, um, when I left here, I went and I went to school in a in a town called Greenville, North Carolina, uh, and it was interesting to see a town that was maybe a fifth the size of Omaha that had a much larger black middle class, um, and it was really an eye opening experience to me. I saw uh, African Americans that that um, owned acres, right, like thousands of acres, and and on businesses and were deep into agriculture. Uh, my first road trip uh, in college was to Atlanta, and I just remember thinking, uh, this is nothing like home. Uh, and it was a, a completely mind-blowing experience for me because up until then I thought everybody lived like I lived in Omaha. And I, and I lived, I had a great upbringing, uh, but we certainly didn't have 
uh, a ton of extra money. But uh, that was my first inkling that that Omaha is a different place as it relates to black people and wealth and black people in class. Um, and that was really formative for me because it was unlike anything I'd ever seen. Did you think of yourself as middle class looking back, if, if you thought about this as a child, but did, did you think of your family background or your place in Omaha as generally middle class? Uh, both my parents uh, uh, were college educated. Um, my father, however, lost his vision uh, at a relatively young age uh, and had a myriad of other um, health issues which left him unable to work and so um, I think educationally I thought I thought of ourselves I think of ourselves as very um, very middle class and very striverish um, financially uh, you know we relied pretty heavily on my mother and and her income um, and she went back and got her degree got her bachelor's degree from UNO years later um, you know all while kind of raising a family and and uh, kind of maintaining a household, and so I think educationally, I thought of ourselves as 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 middle class. Um, I don't think the money always matched up, um, but uh, there was certainly a feeling in our household of expectation um, regarding college, you know, and beyond. So um, those two things were a little bit juxtaposed there, like uh, the actual tax bracket and the education bracket. So, mm. um, so it's a little complicated for me. There's a 2011 study from Pew Research Center that shows that the white population possesses 20 times more wealth than African Americans. And and that makes it seem a little bit hopeless in, in some sense from, from where I'm sitting. How, how do we cultivate um, a healthy middle class, especially middle-class in minorities with the disparities seemingly so large yeah I mean I think if you just look at that that statistic absent any context um, like to me that statistic rings like super true here right when I think about that I'm like okay that that sounds about right Um, based on living in the Raleigh-Durham area uh, the the Atlanta metro area those things um, you know, that same stat doesn't seem quite so compelling, right? Because, I mean, there's just lots of examples kind of to the contrary um, and probably lots of data to the contrary there, although I suspect there's still a gap. But, um, you know, I think in a place like this, it's easy to feel hopeless um, and it's easy to think that this is the entirety of the black experience. Um, we're geographically isolated, I think, uh, philosophically and from kind of a, an exchange of ideas perspective, we're also rather isolated here, uh, even by Midwestern standards. Um, so I think, you know, those things seem to have so much more heft in a place like this uh, than they do somewhere else, which for me was, you know, back to an, an earlier comment, was why getting out of here and seeing other things was so was so valuable to me. Um, otherwise, I would have read that that same statistic and felt like, what's the point? Mm-hmm. Um, but then you see other things. You have to see other places. You have other experiences that that uh, let you know that it's possible. So the civil rights movement of the 1960s helped advance an African American middle class through improving access to education and employment, and we still have a shifting set of circumstances, but it makes me wonder if we need a a new adapted civil rights movement fit for the particular circumstances we face in this century. Yeah. I, you know, I don't know. I, I just, when I think about the things that have afforded me mobility to the extent that I enjoy it, um, those things are access and education typically. Um um, and primarily access, I mean, excuse me, t- primarily education. Um, and I just see that as such a starting point for any conversation about uh, economic mobility. Um, I think that if you are um, 
limited in terms of what you can offer besides what your body can produce. Uh, and I mean, you've seen Detroit, Toledo, you've seen the whole Rust Belt uh, experience this in a way that, that is really telling. Uh, when your body cannot produce, you know, it's fine that you had a great middle weight, you know, middle income type job uh, until you develop carpal tunnel or you develop, uh, you know, mesothelioma or, or some crazy illness that doesn't allow you to make those that same income. So I think you're always going to be limited by what you're, you know, what you can produce outside of uh, the physical labor of your body. And so that's why I feel like the starting point has to be um, really participating in this knowledge-based economy, which is much different from what allowed the black middle class to rise during the the civil rights movement. Um, So there has to be a shift in terms of what we value. Uh, We hear people talking about, you know, manufacturing jobs and jobs that, that all involve the use of your body to some degree. And I think that's completely the wrong tack. You know, I, I think those jobs are have had their heyday and are, are, are probably not coming back. So that's why education feels like such a, a vital entry point to me when you talk about uh, economic mobility. I am chatting today with Othello Meadows. We are going to take a short break. Back in a minute. Coming home to your tender sweet love and you're my one and only one The world needs a bit of taste in my mouth, girl You're the only one that I want Wanna be around You are listening to Mind and Soul 101.3 FM show lives. This is Stuart Chittenden. Today I am speaking with Othello Meadows, the CEO of 75 North. So your education was in Greenville, North Carolina. Yeah. And your experience there, both in terms of education, but also broadly as a, as a human flourishing, um, was so different than your experience here that you'd thought about not coming back to Omaha, but, right. but you did. Yeah. And so what were the motivators that, that brought you back? I don't know. You know, when you're from a place, um, you know, for whatever reason, despite, uh, you know, it's like your siblings or, or your cousins, right? And, you know, you may not like them all the time, but you love them all the time. And that's how I feel about Omaha, right? Like, you know, I don't always like what I see in the city. I don't always like what happens in my community. But I always loved this place. Um, you know, after um, after college, I went to law school and practiced law in Atlanta for a while. And um, I just always had this kind of nagging feeling that I was supposed to be somewhere else doing something else. Um, and literally, man, if you would have told me it was going to be Omaha, Nebraska again, I would have told you, you're, you're nuts. Um, but I had an opportunity to kind of participate in a really grassroots um, exercise here that's what brought me back and um, it was a life changing experience man I just felt like I couldn't go back to what I was doing before um, and then like I said before you know you you think about a place and you have your qualms with that place and you you you, uh, you know you think about how much better the place could be but it's still your place you know and it's still home uh, and that's that kind of sums up my my relationship with Omaha. What does community mean to you? Um, community means being supported. Uh, it means being included. Um, it's like cheers, you know, like you you walk into a place and people are glad to see you, even though you are a difficult individual. We're still glad you are a difficult individual, right? You're, you're, you, you belong to us, you know. Um, 
and Omaha is complex that way. And I think much of the Midwest is complex that way. When I first went to North Carolina, I would meet um, older black women and they would call me baby. And they would grab my hand when they talked to me. And they always um, seemed to want, whether they knew me or not, want good things to happen to me, you know? And so I, I remember very clearly, like, thinking to myself, this is the first time I've been in a place where black people love each other. And that was a, really a powerful thing for me uh, because I, I never really felt like that here um, outside of my family and, and, and friends, right? I, it just felt much less like community. I walk into the grocery store, I walk into the Piggly Wiggly in Greenville, North Carolina, and some woman I've never seen before uh, is warmer to me uh, than a person I've seen every day in my life for the first 18 years of my life, you know? So um, so community to me is the latter, right? It's, it's this sense that we're here together and that you belong to me and I belong to you. Um, and, and it was the first time, like when I was down south, it was the first time I really felt that uh, at that level of intensity. So tell me a little bit more then about your work now. You've been motivated to come back yeah. to Omaha. I'd like to hear more about 75 North and also those larger motivators that you have to, to maybe change community. Yeah. So 75 North is really um, kind of the result of uh, us, and by us I mean our board and, and other people, kind of key stakeholders, seeing um, we're doing a really deep dive into a smaller geographic location can do for a neighborhood, right? Um, when I first came back, I saw people doing things on the north side, that were all very, very well-intentioned, that were well thought out, that were some that were even well-capitalized, that um, were just too broad. You know, North Omaha is a huge geographic area, and I just saw people trying to do really audacious things in a, in a place that you can't get your hands around. Um, we stumbled across this, this uh, model that emerged from Atlanta and a group called Purpose Built Communities in a neighborhood called East Lake that really stuck with us. From a critical analysis standpoint, it seemed to make much more sense, right? Like if we think about if we think about six eight one 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 and just saying we're gonna do all this stuff in six eight one one one, um, it's just too big of a bite. Um, and so we've just focused on the Highlander neighborhood, which is roughly 33rd Street to the west, uh, the freeway to the east, Hamilton or so to the south, and depending on who you ask, Bedford uh, or Lake to the north. And so that's our area. That's our. We don't do anything outside of that, the, the, those boundaries uh, because we think it's hard enough uh, to make significant change in a small neighborhood, let alone uh, an entire zip code or an entire quadrant of the city, which I just think is is far too audacious. I am chatting today with Othello Meadows. We are going to take a short break. Back in a minute. I'm back. Jump back, got back, did a little bit. Now we hardy, puffy, tough, do rag and tims. Kind of hard to get a job. You are listening to Mind and Soul 101.3 FM. Young girl, she grew up in a rush, had it bad, no doubt, she don't know who to trust. Every man she ever loved only want to crush. Oh, no. Charge that to the game. Ooh, ooh, ooh. But it's all gravy. Hey, baby, shots get popped, the cops shut down the party. Jeans side low, blow smoke out of the We've got a lot for y'all, which I don't know. Spend the ball, I Welcome back to the show, Lives. This is Stuart Chittenden. Today I am speaking with Othello Meadows, the CEO of 75 North. Othello, just before the break, we were chatting a little bit about 75 North, and I wonder if you could tell us a little bit more about what, what is happening there. 
Yeah, so right now, um, if you drive down 30th Street, um, so north of Hamilton or south of Lake, uh, on both sides of the street, you'll see um, lots of construction activity. Um, our first phase is about 101 units of mixed-income housing, mixed-income apartments. Uh, and then there's also a really large-scale uh, community enrichment space um, called the Community Accelerator. Um, and so all those things are under construction right now with varying uh, kind of completion dates. The first apartments will be ready for occupancy in March of, of 17, uh, and the accelerator will be done uh, early to mid-summer of 17. So um, lots of activity going on there right now. Um, you know, and, and that's probably the most visible part of what we do. Uh, the more important part of what we do is, is the work that we do with Howard Kennedy, Kennedy Elementary School, uh, which is just north of our site. That school has undergone a, a pretty dramatic uh, kind of reconstitution uh, involving a uh, longer school day, longer school year, uh, significant uh, uh, influx of new uh, staff and teachers, new principal, uh, greater focus on STEAM uh, learning and project-based learning, uh, more hands-on stuff. Uh, so we're excited about that, and that is quite honestly, the, the the most valuable part of what we think we bring to the equation in Highlander. What kind of things will be happening? And I, I'm wondering, what will it feel like as, as someone walking around that community in, say, a year's time? We want it to feel inviting. We want it to feel kind of like a beehive of activity where there's lots of different enriching, positive, fun things happening all the time. Uh, there's a lot of really great community green space. Uh, there's a lot of programming and enrichment activities that will take place in the accelerator. And the accelerator really sprung up out of, um, I guess you could say, me standing on this soapbox about, ironically, uh, um, sports on the north side. Um, it always struck me as odd that um, when you talked about youth engagement, the first thing that people talked about was sports. And I said, well, when I was growing up, I knew plenty of people that had no interest nor ability in sports, um, but they had interests and they had abilities and things that maybe they didn't even know about. So I'd, I'd be in meetings and we'd be talking about um, the accelerator, and my thought process was if a kid can play basketball or football or baseball on the north side, there are people, there are adults falling all over themselves to help this person, uh, this boy, this girl, reach their potential, right, from an athletic standpoint. I said, but what if, like, we're just sitting on the next Wynton Marsalis, right, uh, or the next great computer program or the next Neil deGrasse Tyson, you know? Like, what if all this untapped talent is untapped because there's no outlet for it? Um, and that's really what kind of spurred us thinking about how the accelerator could be sort of a hub for that, for the science and the arts and technology and education. Um, so that's really what kind of sparked the conversation about a community center that doesn't have a single basketball hoop in it, uh, which uh, is exciting to me. Um, so, you know, that's in a nutshell, kind of what the accelerator is about and its function and its, its purpose is to bring people to our neighborhood uh, because there are interesting things happening there all the time. There are really um, exciting reasons to be there, and, and that's the impetus for that whole building. The purpose of 75 North is all of the things that you just mentioned. It is not to uh, generate ostensibly a black middle class. Right. But we've been talking about the black middle class. Sure. And and it seems that there may be some tangential connection between between these two these two things. I mean, I, you know, personally, you know, I didn't understand that I don't think fully until I came back, you know, cuz I spent I left here when I was 18 and I spent the next 16 years or 15 years coming back for Christmas or Thanksgiving, whichever year I, I alternated on. So I didn't really have a great feel for what was going on in the city anymore. Because, I, I mean, you can't get a great feel for what's going on in the city when you're there 
you know, three or four days a year, you know, uh, maybe a couple of days in the summer. Um, and so when I first, when I made the decision to come back, to move back to Omaha, uh, I, I bought the house that I grew up in on Miami Street. And, um, you know, I, I, it needed work. And so I set about uh, and what was a terrible idea, um, uh, doing a lot of the renovations myself and, and, and going through that whole headache. Uh, but uh, so I said, okay, I need about a year to get everything in place. So I'll rent an apartment uh, until, uh, until the house is ready. And, I mean, I grew up on the north side. I wanted to stay on the north side. I wanted to stay in a diverse community. I wanted to stay close to uh, things that were familiar with me from my childhood. And, um, you know, so I set about trying to figure out, okay, where will I live? Like, where will I rent an apartment? Now, if I'm renting an apartment for me, that's a very different proposition from renting an apartment with my soon-to-be wife who was moving up here from Atlanta and so as you go through and you look at places to live and you look at apartments, you realize that there isn't a place uh, for the black middle class to feel kind of entrenched in a lot of these places where people from that black middle class grew up. Um, and I realized th there's no place that I could convince my wife who doesn't have the same affinity for this city. She does now. But at the time, she didn't have like she didn't grow up here. This wasn't her neighborhood. There was no place that I, I recognized there was no place she was going to be happy if I brought her and said, this is where we live right now, right? And that was really eye-opening to me because I've never lived in a city where uh, there were parts of that city that were just relatively off limits. Um, and so it made me think, wow, like where would somebody live who grew up on the north side, who now fits into this nebulous idea of of a, of a black middle class, where would that person live, right? Where would that person feel like this is a, a place where I can buy a house and not take a bath, right, and, 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 and make my money back, or it'd be a good investment? Uh, where, where can I send my kids to a good school? Like all these things that I hadn't thought about before until I had to think about somebody else. As we draw to conclusion um what sorts of things matter to you now equity um, um education um you know i think a lot about how education drives the way the city looks um and how and the choices that people make about where they want to live um, about the opportunities that are afforded to kids of color and kids growing up in poverty, um, and about this city's commitment, um, this city's commitment to, you know, pursue a system or a, a means of educating children that that actually gives people an opportunity, right? I mean, we, you know, we we talk about the fact that. We talk about a lot of good things in this town that this city does, um, and we still have kind of a reluctance to talk about the difficult things, right? And and you know the the things that other cities have managed to kind of figure out, or other neighborhoods have managed to figure out. You know, we're yet to begin the conversation, and one of those conversations that's really difficult to talk about in this town, particularly, is education, uh, and particularly the education of 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 black and brown children in this town uh, and the way we approach it. So, you know, those are the things that matter to me. And then selfishly, they're the things that, that drive 90% of my decisions about family life, right? Like, where will my kids go to school? Where will we live? I live not on the north side now <laughs> uh, for a variety of reasons, but one of those reasons is education. Uh, so there, there, there are a lot of things kind of that matter to me, but... But primarily, it's equity and 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 ha us having the will and the strength to talk about the things that that maybe Omar isn't so proud of, um, and and I'd like to think that 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 courage and that will exists in this town. It seems to me that you are one of those community leaders who has stepped back into this community intentionally, deliberately, and without putting on rose-tinted spectacles, but acknowledging that. 
in facing up to some of those difficult challenges, there is solution, uh, a solution to be found, and uh, you're working towards that. I think so. I, you know, it just takes, you know, I think one of the things that people have a hard time kind of wrapping their head around is that, you know, we were talking about long-term solutions to, to deeply entrenched issues. So if you think that if we enact this program or we start this strategy and you'll be alive to see its fruition, right, uh, I, I think you're naive. Um, the issues to face, people of color in this country took centuries to manifest. Uh, and, and for us to think that if we do X, Y, and Z, you know, 10 years from now, it, it'll all be good, uh, I, I think is Pollyannish. Um, and that's the hard part, right, is to recognize that maybe the solution uh, arrives at a point that outlives you, um, you know, and so you have to sign up for that and say, you know what, I'm okay with not seeing the end, but we have to get started on the right track at some point and, and being all right with that. I want to thank you, Othello, for taking the time to chat with me today. It's always a pleasure, though. Today, I have been speaking with Othello Meadows, the CEO of 75 North, founded in 2011 to facilitate creating healthy, sustainable, mixed-income communities in the Highlander neighborhood in North Omaha. Wake up, everybody, no more sleeping in bed. No more back to thinking, time for thinking ahead. The world has changed so very much from what it used to be. There's so much hatred, war, and poverty. You are listening to Mind and Soul 101.3 FM. Wake up, all the teachers, time to teach a new way. Maybe then they'll listen to what you have to say. They're the ones who's coming up, and the world is in their hands. When you teach the children, teach them the very best you can. The world won't get no better if we just let it be. Na, 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 na. Change it now, just you and me. This is Dialogue, the part of the show where guests talk about our week's theme. This week's theme is the black middle class, and with me in the studio today, uh, returning, is Diana Martinez, who is Filmstream's Education Director. She is currently working on a PhD in Film and Media Studies at the University of Oregon. Diana also writes about film and television. Her work has appeared in Slate and The Atlantic. Hello, Diana. Hi, Stuart. Thanks for having me. Uh, with me also is Jeanette Taylor, who is a native of Omaha, Nebraska. Uh, Jeanette currently serves as the statewide administrator of Children's Services for Lutheran Family Services. She founded a community-based nonprofit, Impact One Community Connection, in Omaha in 2009 and served as its executive director for four years, focusing her energy on the marginalized youth and young adults in North Omaha. She attended undergraduate and graduate school at the College of St. Mary, earning a master's in organizational leadership, uh, an MBA, uh, also earning a master's in negotiation and dispute resolution at Creighton University's School of Law. Hello. Hi, Stuart. And also returning is Keisha Holloway. She's a social selling butterfly at LinkedIn. She has a bachelor's degree in marketing, a master's degree in organizational leadership, and is a graduate of the Interface Web School Full Stack Java course. Keisha is a cancer survivor. She loves developing relationships and embracing human relationships. Hello, Keisha. Hello, Stuart. So uh, uh, black middle class, but I was thinking first, when we think about the middle class in general, what hmm. what comes to mind when we think middle class? Homeowner. Got a little savings. Um, private school, possibly. That's what I think of, at least. Sus- you know, uh, sustainability. I immediately think of uh, what it used to be Mm. and what it is not right now today. Mm. So it used to be families who were able to migrate from the south up north and get really good jobs where they had living wages. And now it's just uh, 
it's limited to certain people. The American dream. Yeah, yeah. the American dream. Yeah. That is a dream right now. Right. <laughs> like we, we really don't Amen. have a middle class. So I, I think of what it used to be more so than what it is today. See, I think maybe the exact opposite. I think that everyone is middle class except for the rich elite who are running the country, right? Like if you think of middle class like in terms of the tax bracket sure. like i think you're actually not middle class unless you earn like an insane amount of money for mm. like what i would actually consider middle class um but if you think yeah if you think of these issues of mobility mm -hmm. um of education then i think we can start pinning down like an actual middle class that maybe still exists or is definitely struggling i think middle class is definitely struggling but there are definitely people who are struggling more so than middle class so I think it's important well I know for myself that's why it's important for me to make sure that I interact with people from all walks of life um, especially when it comes to my children um, so they know the difference but middle class is definitely not what it used to be with the you know nice house and the fence backyard and um, having the ability to make choices. So it's interesting that I'm hearing no single easy definition to what yeah, middle class is. So to some degree, I'm hearing elements of there's a fiscal number and you can use accounting methods to define it. Maybe, maybe not. But then I'm hearing elements like the American dream and the past and the present and the future. And then you mentioned, uh, Kishi, you mentioned sustainability. And I think there's plenty of data that tells us there are so few uh, American families that, that could reach into a small pile of savings to deal mm. with mm. moderate yeah. emergencies. Sure. So then we're also aware of the 1%, the so-called 1%, and, and however one chooses to f define that, but we're certainly talking six-figure salaries and a, and a degree of sustainability that is relatively comfortable. Mm. So how how do we how do we think about what we want a middle class to be if we're not even sure we can define it clearly? I think we're specifically talking about the black middle class. Mm -hmm. And when we think of just unemployment, so in Omaha it's supposedly national, it's like around three to four percent. But in North Omaha in the black community, it's twenty percent or higher. So to say that we have a middle class, I think that's not really accurate. We have more people struggling and in poverty than we have, um, you know, who make livable wages. Is there a different definition for black middle class than just middle class generally? If we think of the way that politicians talk about class difference, right, the working class is very different than the middle class. Right, like the working class are people who have usually industrial jobs, construction jobs, jobs in factories, right? What we would call like blue collar work, whereas the middle class and you're getting into this white collar work, um, which has this level of, of social mobility, right? That they can attend the museums, they can go to the private schools. They have these markers of um, like higher class as opposed to like the working class. So like I always struggled um, Growing up, my dad was a construction worker in California. Um, and like, were we, are we working class? Are we middle class? We had all the car, we had, you know, multiple cars and the big screen TVs and all of those things. But I was very aware of the fact that if my dad had an injury at work, um, if, you know, when he got older, right, the job was much harder on his body, that that um, sustainability, right, that ability to maintain that lifestyle would quickly dissipate. Um, and I think that that is like one of the major differences between like a working class and a middle class is that I think a working class worker, their livelihood is contingent on factors that they, that are, are very precarious as opposed to the middle class. For us, going to work at, you know, the Ford Motor Company in Detroit, made you middle class because most people of color live in poverty because mm -hmm. of systemic, I'm not going to get political, but because <laughs> of how, you know, society is structured. Yeah. So 
Whereas a job is like a working class job for a Caucasian person, for us, that would be a middle class because, wow, we're able to pay our bills mm-hmm. and to live mm-hmm. and to not struggle yeah. just a little bit. We don't have working class and middle class. Mm. It's either you are struggling yeah. in the black community or you have somehow, which traditionally is through education or working in social services or something, you've been able to pull yourself out and get into the quote-unquote middle class. So I'm, I'm sitting here, I'm a white European male. So I, I wouldn't know what this kind of discussion is. I mean, so in yeah. minority communities, is there a discussion about class or is it really just a discussion about, I don't know, progress and mobility and other forms of success? Well, that, like that's the whole thing about intersectionality, right, is that if you're Latino or if you're black or Asian or whatever, when you're having a discussion about class, you're also having a discussion about race um, and ethnicity. Mm-hmm. And so I think like what Jeanette said is totally true. Like for my dad, who was a Latino who barely spoke English, like that construction work did allow him to become quote unquote middle working class, right? Because that was what was available and it was like pretty well salary job. Um, but, you know, that that job those life circumstances are only because of like his ethnicity and like our racial background. As a child growing up, I didn't even have exposure. I wasn't even exposed to what middle class is or what it meant as a black person until I got into college. So it wasn't even something that I knew was possible or even a reality until then. So I think it's important that we provide Um, individuals with different experiences and different perspectives Um, because as a child growing up I didn't even know I mean I knew we were poor but I didn't know there was another level Mm -hmm. you know what I mean or that it was even possible because you know we are what we see so until I got to you know my late years in high school and in college I got exposed to very um, amazing uh, mentors and women that took me to their homes and let me see their beautiful houses and meet their husbands and see their family and saw the possibilities. If we are rendering invisible uh, any, any form of appreciation for how life could be different, how can we expect anybody to even think about mobility in some way, shape or form? And, you know, you said earlier, you, you gave some statistics about uh, the plight of African-Americans in, in Omaha. And if if we are miring this community in this sort of visibility, invisibility, how how do we move past that? So that is a challenge, I think, to to stay visible and to show people the it is possible to to build yourself up and be successful and make it to that next level. But how do you do that when you're struggling yourself? I don't think we do that enough in the black community. You have a lot of people who are either seen as a leader or self-proclaimed leaders or, you know, and they are middle class or making more than what you would consider middle class. And uh, sometimes people are removed from Mm -hmm. the communities that they're supposed to serve. And you feel that, like you're in a hood Mm -hmm. and you're like, oh, you represent me, I've never seen you. Um, And you have nice cars and I don't have anything. So it's like, how do you be true to where you come from? Like I'm from 24th and Brett, Mm -hmm. no secret about it. I had my daughter when I was 17. It is what it is. And the only thing that allowed me to be mobile and move into, quote unquote, middle class was me going to college. Mm-hmm. And so because I know that that's one trick I can use, I tell people, hey, go to college, go to college. or get a trade, do something. Um, we use, I mean, the kids see things on TV, even adults. They see these rappers and they balling and making all this money. So now I really want to be a rapper. And it's like... We got to be realistic with our goals here, and mm-hmm. we really have to be true to what a, a, the black community is or what it's supposed to be. And I think that's where we we fall short. We don't have the connection like we used to back in the days. Yeah, no, my Latino dad was like, go to school, go to college, go get your master's. And then I was like, I'm going to get my Ph.D., I guess, and one-upped him. <laughs> um, but, you know, I think one of the things – that Jeanette pointed out, right, is that you need to revitalize a community and put resources to what's already there. Because I think one of the ways that my parents went about, you know, getting me an education is they basically just moved to the suburbs to a wider area that had better, edu- had better public schools mm-hmm. where I was more likely to go 
to college coming out of those schools. And I think that that's that's one of the things that a lot of uh, minorities struggle with, right, is if you can get out of your community, you probably will choose to do so for a better life for your child. But all that does then is it creates these patterns of flight away from communities that need people to stay there, that need people to give resources to, you know, really be committed to revitalizing that area. So a final comment from each of you thinking about the black middle class. My final thought is um, is if you are able to, to build yourself up and become more successful and get into that category of the black middle class or even higher, let's, let's go higher than that. Just make sure that you come back and build that community that you, you once were growing up in, especially if it wasn't kind to you, especially if you did struggle, because those same problems are still there. So put the resources back into our community so we don't have to move out west where there's better schools and there's better roads and there's better everything. Let's put our money back into the community, our resources, and come together so that, you know, we can continue to thrive and to grow. Because I don't believe that there's a true black middle class in Omaha. I think that the challenge is going to be for people to be prepared for what's to come. January 20th of 2017, when this new regime comes in, things will look differently for middle class in general. But for the black community especially, jobs are going to be that more limited. Um, I think entrepreneurship is going to be super important. Mm-hmm. Um, and you, we have to collectively, as a community, try to help grow black businesses and build people up. Because we are going to, I mean, the next four years will be interesting, but I know that it will really hit people of color hard and it'll hit immigrants hard. And we mm-hmm. talk about middle class. I'm nervous of what that looks like in 2017. I echo all of those sentiments. I think coming up, community is going to be so much more important, right? Because it's it's at those local levels. Like even if you're talking about local government is where you get those resources, where you can procure your voting rights, mm-hmm. which is not guaranteed if you are a minority, right? Yeah, I think going back to the community, really having a strong bond with that community is is just going to be the most important thing. Like, I can't stress that enough. Like, it's, yeah, that's it. Those are my final words. (laughs) (laughs) With me today in dialogue have been Jeanette Taylor, Diana Martinez, and Keisha Holloway. Thank you all so much for being here. Peace. That's the end of this week's show. Join me next week for more conversation, community, and the people that bring community to life. 